On today's episode of Dance Med Spotlight, I'm speaking with Kristen Koskinen. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist who specializes in working with dancers. In this episode, we talk about, first of all, what is a dietitian and how are they different from somebody like a nutritionist? What does nutrition look like and nutritional needs look like for dancers versus other folks? some of the common things that maybe bring people in to see her in the first place, but also some of the other reasons to work with dietitians, like optimizing performance and optimizing how you're feeling, how your body's functioning, lots of different reasons to go see a dietitian. We also talk about the need to develop a team for dancers. And Kristen also gives some fantastic information for studio owners, dance teachers, artistic directors, anyone in some form of leadership for their dancers and ways that they can support their dancers in the studio, in the culture that's being provided, lots of different ways. So to learn all of that and more, be sure to check out this episode. Welcome to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine and dance science. Today, my guest is Kristen Koskinen. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist who works with professional, pre-professional dancers on a lot of different things. I'll let her talk more about it, but welcome, Kristen. Thank you, Alyssa. I'm glad to be here. So Kristen, my very first question that I always ask people is what got you to this point of wanting to make a career out of working with dancers in the way that you do? Absolutely. Well, like so many people in the dance medicine field, I started out as a dancer and I was actually lucky enough to have an artistic director who had a couple of good nutrition tips for performance. And they were, they were small, they were simple, but they still, they were, they were actually, now that I have professional experience, they were good recommendations. And that gave me the idea. It's like, if there are these two things, there's got to be more to this mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, I ended up going, you know, to college. I was originally going to pursue a degree, um, pursue medicine, but found out that there's very little nutrition involved, redirected and went into um, dietetics and nutrition and was working in kind of some general fields and my daughter started dancing and I went and so I blended myself right back in the dance world which I felt so comfortable and it was just like oh nothing's changed and nothing's changed and so that's when I really put my focus in um, working with dancers again and I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that is definitely the journey of a lot of us. We were dancers ourselves, and something brings us back and teaches us how to kind of blend the two things that we're interested in. Yeah. So before we get too far in the conversation, for the sake of the audience, give us a little description of like what what is a dietitian and how is a dietitian different from somebody like a nutritionist? Yeah, that's great. So a dietitian is a healthcare professional. We have, just like all healthcare professionals, physical therapists, dentists, doctors, nurses, we all have gone to school for an allotted amount of time. We have classes we have to take specific to our degree. We sit for board exams. We have malpractice insurance and places like hospitals will hire us. Um, those are kind of the, the the overview things. So a dietitian is someone who has a minimum of a four-year degree. They have a minimum of a one-year internship where they work in typically a hospital setting, learning and you know the specifics of dietetics and working with other healthcare professionals, doctors, PTs, speech language pathologists, all the things. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we are required to sit for a board exam, and then we are required to continue our education over years. Um, so it is a, it's, it's a medical profession and that is different and it is regulated. So that's a really big difference compared to someone who can use the term nutritionist, which is not a regulated term. So, um, my dog Duke could be a, a nutritionist if he wanted to, he can get a certificate from anywhere certifications. Um, and this is kind of general, this applies to a lot of our space certifications really don't 
matter so much unless they're there there are the regulated letters after someone's name so mm -hmm. there's pt dpd for someone who does pt which is a very important role for a dietitian that's going to be rd or rdn they may also have state um, licensure letters like ldn for licensed dietitian depending on what states they're licensed in so you want to have that because these people are going to look at they have the full breadth of knowledge of what's going on down to the biochemical level. So for example, I've taken courses of metabolism, biochemistry, organic chemistry, and all that background knowledge feeds into what may seem like a simple recommendation, but it's the background that makes the simplicity work. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. I know having worked a lot in hospital settings earlier in my career, one of the things I did a lot of was actually wound care with patients. Oh, and so yeah. worked a lot with our dietitians to make sure that that individual in front of us with whatever process was going on in their body and what healing was needing to happen, they were making sure that we were getting adequate nutrient supplementation and getting the right kinds of foods. And, you know, what if they can't choose something that of, of a certain texture, how do we modify and still make sure that it's working for them? And I mean, I was, it was so interesting getting to work with them in that setting and with patients who so desperately needed all the help they could get. Um, mm -hmm. So it really made me appreciate what dietitians do. Right. And, and, you know, it's interesting because that sort of training of how do we work with the person in front of us and their specific needs translates. So that's what I do now with my dancers. What are their specific needs? And when we talk about chewing in a hospital setting, it's can't, are they able to chew and swallow? With my dancers, it's more often how much time do you have to chew between during your break, right? These are sometimes mm -hmm. the particulars that we're working with because it's, it's the nature, it's the nature of the beast, you know, what's mm -hmm. dance culture and, and limited studio time and all the things. That also makes me think of the presentation that you were a part of the panel at iAdams with a bunch of other fabulous folks um, talking about neurodivergence in dance and yes. even thinking of that chewing piece of, you know, what if the dancer has problems with different textures or flavors or things like that? And that was so interesting to listen to in that context. You know, it's been really interesting as I've gone through, I work with, I do work with a lot of neurodivergent dancers. Um, I work with hypermobile dancers who are very often neurodivergent. And I found through my, as I was going through my records and going through my client list, the number of dancers, it all was like, it revealed itself. The number of dancers who are someplace on the neurodivergent spectrum is a lot. It's a lot. So if you're a dancer and you suspect you're neurodivergent, you have a lot of good company and you have a lot of people around to actually in this community to support you. So what's, you know, neurodivergent, a lot of people think um, their minds go to um, autism and autism spectrum, but also anxiety, depression, um, um, ADHD, ADD, anything that your brain may operate differently. OCD, it's just so many things. And so, and there, and so when we find that out a lot and with dancers, because eating disorders can fall in that too, but we find eating disorders, the way we, we have, you know, some different, that that's its own very broad terms. Typically in the dance world, we think of eating disorders as something with related to body image. And that can very, that's very real and very true. It can also be, we can have eating disorders that are related to these just difficulties with eating, whether it's chewing, textures, tastes, sounds, you know, distractions, all kinds of things. And so those are strategies we work on to make sure that the dancers can continue to get the nourishment they need to perform at a high level. Yeah. Thinking of the, the breadth of things that you can work with dancers on, not only if they have neurodivergence, hypermobility, some of these other things, but also gut issues. I can't tell you how often I hear that come up with dancers that are coming in to see me. Um, and it's not just, you know, things of like weight management mm -hmm. that you're talking about. What are some of the maybe big topics that you tend to see a lot of with your dancers? Gut issues, for sure. Um, I see the two, I would say the two things, 
the two things that people come to me initially for, there are other things that we uncover, but the two things that people tend to come to me for are injury recovery. They've, they've halted out in recovery and they've been referred by their their physical therapist and gut issues. And that is more often a, a self-referral. And, and there are so many things that are involved in gut issues, but, um, but we can usually figure things out. And if it's something that's outside my lane, we can get to a point where we say, hey, you know, let's, you know, talk to a gastroenterologist and these are some concerns I'd have, but, and then they at least have a list of things where they can say, we've tried this, this didn't work, this didn't work, and now we're left here, you know, can we start mm -hmm. at this point? So they get a head up in their next approach, or at least even can have a rationale for the referral from their primary care provider, which navigating the healthcare system can be part of getting good results too. Like, do you, do you have the team to help you get there? Yeah. I know, I mean, just thinking of one dancer in particular, but I've seen this sort of thing a lot where they're coming in with an injury. They maybe have been trying some stuff on their own and maybe getting a little bit better, but they're kind of stuck. And as I start talking to them, they start saying, you know, oh yeah, I have ADHD. I have anxiety. Um, I, oh yeah, by the way, now that you're asking about it, I do have gut issues. Oh yeah. And I don't like eating certain foods and these are weird, you know, and it just becomes this laundry list of things as we start digging deeper. And one of the things I always tell them when I start hearing all of this is we need to get you in with somebody who's a dietitian who can sort through all of this. Because I know I had a history of gut issues for many years. And once I was able to have that like breakthrough, get over a lot of that stuff because of working with somebody, man, I felt so much better afterwards. Right. Yeah. And so many people, they become accustomed to it that it, they think it's their normal. So that mm -hmm. until you, until they get like with an intake process with a professional where they start to reveal some things like, oh yeah, I do have issues with that. Or if it's a, you know, if it's a minor and their parents are like, well, you do, you know, constipation is a problem. Yeah, you do. And they start to go through or, or a blanket of IBS. And that's just like, well, I just have it. And we, you know, we just chuck it up to that something. And like, well, no, you don't, you actually, we can, we can figure this out. Yeah. And it is, it is so true. And so we figure out one of the important things and they're, they're all interconnected. So if you are not getting, if you cannot digest and absorb your food, you are set up to have chronic injury, delayed recovery, whether that's just recovery from training or recovery from injury, as well as things like mood disorders, because your body requires specific nutrients to build neurotransmitters. And if it doesn't have them, if it can't get them or make them, because at the beginning of the chain, it can't digest or absorb them because you're not, that part of the process is not working optimally, mm -hmm. then, then everything downstream, which can include mood, tanks out. It's interesting during COVID. So I really thought that during the, the, during lockdown pandemic, COVID, you know, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. I thought, things are going to really slow down for me because dancers are going to be hanging out. And it was the actual, it was the opposite. Number one, dancers had time. That is something they never, that is a resource dancers do not have in yes. ever. <laughs> they don't have an off season. There's always something and they had time. And so for some of them, they came because they had underlying concerns about how they were eating. It's like, now I've got the time to talk about nutrition. Like I can figure out, I can get it figured out before I get back to the studio. And for a lot of those dancers, the number two thing on, on my intake, do, mood disorders are, you know, do you, you know, anxiety, depression, da, 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 da. and anxiety came up 80% of the time. And so then, and now, and we know anxiety was heightened during that period of time. So, but what we could do from my lane with regard to food issues, nutrition, how, you know, were you missing key nutrients that can drive these things, sleep, everything we could attack in that lane, we did. And a lot of people had great improvement and, you know, did they, you know, did some still go and see, have um, therapists, counselors, mental health support? Sure. Did they, did it work in concert? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was, that was, that was, it was something that surprised, it surprised me at the time. And looking back, it made a lot of sense with regard to, you know, how many 
how many of my dancers, and I would say solid 80% come anxiety, depression, both. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's conservative. I feel mm -hmm. very comfortable throwing that number out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I know one of the things, like until I went through some of the gut health stuff myself, I didn't think about being connected to it as well, was also just immune system and immune response. Like I felt like I was getting a cold every month. And then once we started getting things, even under the slightest bit of control, I didn't get another cold for an entire year. And it was like, oh, okay. I didn't know this was connected. And yeah. so, you know, even those kids that seem to be having something going on all the time, seem to have a really sensitive immune system can also be a, a little tell by the body of, hmm, maybe something's out of balance here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think immunity is a, you know, it's kind of like we can look at certain things and get an overall idea of where's your, where's your health status at? You know, a lot of times skin, um, mm -hmm. mucus, tissues, things with fast turnover, your immunity, it responds, it's a fast, you know, it has a lot of quick responses and, and we can, you know, whether it's the, the gut, I mean, there's so many points of immunity that, yeah, your nutrition impacts it a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thinking about another part that we kind of mentioned at some point, but what about nutrition for performance for dancers? And maybe how might that look versus somebody else? And right. Non -dancer? You know, I think it's... When we're looking at when we're looking at performance nutrition, it's there's a continuum. There's kind of the normal, and it's not normal, but the normal season, and there then there's the performance season. So whether it's competition season, Nutcracker, you know, um, auditions, spring performance, whatever it is, everyone has their own. They kind of know their calendar for performance. Mm -hmm. So when we pull back the lens. The number one thing, you know, that's something we do is healthcare performances. When do we need to pull back the lens and get the big scope? And when do we need to dial in and get into the nitty gritty? So the first thing we do is we pull back the lens and we've got to make sure that the nutrition is, is adequate over the course of the season, right? Like the year, are you getting adequate amounts and how do we do that? And sometimes it's, we play bits of catch up on weekends, um, you know, it's, we create strategies. If the nutrition isn't there, if the foundational nutrition isn't there, we can kind of trick and have like the, the, you know, the, the, the things higher up the pyramid aren't going to work. They just, I mean, they'll be okay, but they your, your performance is not going to be where it's going to be. You're going to be at increased risk of, you know, getting sick, getting injured if we don't have those foundational things. So a lot of, when I talk to dancers, and I talk about performance nutrition, I talk about pyramid. So the base, we have, what are you doing most of the time? Like, what is your weekly, your day-to-day -day weekly stuff looking like, mm -hmm. you know, over the course of the year? And we know that that's going to vary based on if you're in, in an, um, an intensive or if you're at home or if you're at college, it's going to vary. But what does it look like overall? We have to have a plan for that. And, and every dancer's is going to look different depending on where they are. Then we go up to things like the, per, the next level is performance. What do we do for, you know, hydration and specifics for performance? And then the last layer is when we look at, do we need, you know, are there supplements? Or is there testing? Is there maybe the gut things, the specific stuff there? So we get that baseline done. And then we move up to this next level of performance. And that's where things can be challenging for dancers sometimes. They can, if we get the baseline, the ch and the challenge is we sometimes deal with perfectionism and it may not even be the dancer. It can be the people around them. It can be their support staff, whether it's um, teachers, coaches, artistic directors and their belief sets, mm -hmm. parents and their belief sets. But they, what you have to understand is dancers are not the general population. What the food guide pyramid says, what your high school health teacher told you, what the government recommendations are, that's for a broad population that is not an artistic athlete who is training hard, who needs um, energy at specific times. And one of the one of the things we love and don't love about dance culture is tradition. Mm -hmm. And for those, and I feel 
anyone with any kind of a ballet background, and it doesn't need to be much, but you know, ballet is tradition. And so a lot of it is, you know, teacher to student and that student may become a teacher without any outside influences besides that. And it, and it, and it comes from generation to generation. So as part of that, the people at the front of the room, the top of the line, the older generation passes their beliefs on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And they may or may not be accurate. This is where if we circle back to the beginning where I had an artistic director who actually had good, 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 solid, it was good information. She told me mm-hmm. two things and they were good information. And I, I continue to um, stick with them. And so we need to make sure that the dancer, that everyone involved knows that these are okay things, that they're just because you saw on social media, um, whatever the newest publication from the government even is, I'm sorry, they don't apply. They just don't apply. So when we're looking at performance, we have to be looking at the specifics of where you're at, what what the limitations are, whether it's costuming, time, theater, lack of refrigeration, lack of heating. You can't get out of the auditorium performance convention center or whatever. Mm-hmm. All those things, how do they how do they relate? And what's your particular situation? So those are those are some of the things we look at. And then when we're looking at performance, we're looking at really specific needs, like making sure your tummy doesn't get upset before you go on stage, making sure like you don't have stained lips and tongue and mouth. Cheetos, Kool-Aid, Red Gatorade are probably going to be on the no-no list. Why? For practical reasons. <laughs> those, those aren't good choices during that, that time. And yes. so we work in advance, just like anything else. We want to rehearse what you're going to do, what foods and beverages work for you in advance before you get there. And a lot of times they look like things that may not seem healthy. They may be refined white rice, white, white foods tend to work really well. Why? Because they're easy to digest. They're easy on the tummy. They don't, you know, we're, we're working with, are you nervous? How many, again, how many bites do you have? Do we need to combine your hydration with your calories, with your energy? Mm-hmm. These are things that we've got to sort through depending on each dancer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I a question, but I said a lot. <laughs> no, I think that was good. And I think one of the things that came to mind as you were saying that too is not thinking that it's going to be, you know, come in and have one appointment and get all of the answers for all of the things. But just like physical therapy, it takes time, first of all, to like make adjustments, see how body is is responding and all of that sort of thing. But also the opportunity to learn information session to session because, you know, being able to have a backup plan for something. Like I know one thing I did because I had a lot of dietary restrictions for a while. I would pack salads when I would go compete. Well, I had a room that didn't have a fridge and I couldn't get it. Or another time I had a fridge, but the settings on it ended up freezing my salads that turned them into mush. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, oh no, what do I, what do I do now? And so having the information and the education over time that you're getting is such a valuable piece too, so that you don't get in those panic moments that then probably stir up all kinds of other things. Right. Yeah. And you're right. And when I work with dancers, I tend to work with them um, over a period of months. So we set off a period of time where if you're on my roster, you're on my roster, you get backup and, you know, you get continuous input from me. You're not just set from session to session. We'll communicate in between times. They get a lot of, it's really high touch because what I find is when we get traction and we start on something, it's easy to derail or get distracted or have other things going on. But if we start and we try, we try and we win, hey, that worked, or we try and we learn, and right away we come up with, let's try this instead, we can make great progress in a relatively short period of time. And exactly. So if we're looking at performance, I work with a lot of YAGP dancers. So they may, sometimes it's near where they live and they can drive. We make strategies based on a driving competition. If they're flying, like if they're going to Florida or New York, depending on what year it is, then we talk about, okay, let's, let's look at what's around the area, what works for you at home, what's going to be there, what's the reasonable access, what are delivery options? What and 
sometimes it's we talk about what are you going to take with you? If we know things work, they'll pack things either in their carry-on. A parent will put that. That'll be their carry-on will be specific foods that work for them. Um, we look at the make sure we make sure the hotel has a refrigerator. If it doesn't, what can we, you know, what are things we can do to make it make it work? Which again, you know, if you're a dancer, you're you're used to this. You know, how do we how do we put together a production? It's all part of a production. Props and you know, it's it's just a thing, and we make it and we and we find ways to make it work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> also, thinking about a common thing that I hear dancers talk about is that time aspect. Even if they don't have any particular dietary restrictions or things they need to avoid or anything like that. Sometimes it's, well, I have to eat something on my way from school to the studio in the car while my parents are driving and something they were able to bring along. Or, you know, some studios, they'll have schedules where their dancers are booked class to class to class to class to class. And there is no dinner break in there. There's nothing like that. And so they have a couple of bites that they can sneak in here or there. What are maybe some general tips or strategies that you would want to share with dancers in that kind of scenario? Right. So time is a commodity, right? And it's the one that a lot of dancers nor their parents, if their parents are part of their support staff, have much of. So we've always got to be aware of that and keep things in mind. So there are things, so things that we want to look at are what's dance bag friendly. Okay, so we need things that don't need refrigeration, that you can't, don't have to reply, you know, rely on a refrigerator being there. So what are things that are dance bag friendly and when are we going to eat things? So sometimes we have to look at the big nutrition, we pull the lens back and we say, okay, and this helps to keep in mind the general nutrition things and, and for the parents, and when I say parents, it's moms, it's dance moms. Yeah. 90 plus percent of the time. So how are we going to make this work for them too? We've got to pull the lens back and say, when can we get certain foods in and when are those foods not going to work? So the salad, for example, a lot of parents get really excited. It's like, oh, they eat so well. They eat a lot of vegetables. It's like, that's great, but they can't eat enough vegetables to meet their needs because they, they don't have enough chewing time. So when do we put the vegetables in? It may be, maybe we figure out ways in the morning and at lunch because school lunch times tend to be more protected. If, if the kid, you know, if the dancer goes to school or if they, if they homeschool, then it's like, okay, we're going to protect that time. And we're going to create time here for certain foods as we get closer. And if you're in the car, what are foods Then we're going to look at, okay, is it something where we're going to be going through a drive-through Are parents going through a drive-through on the way there? We are not going to shame this. It's what, if this is the best option, then we'll talk about, okay, so what are the, what are some of the best options we can get? Um, <clears throat> what's going to be tolerated? What can they eat? What do they have time to chew? It's that having time to chew is really important and it gets overlooked. So maybe yeah. it's, um, maybe it's an egg McMuffin and an orange juice that you go through. Maybe it's something from Panera that it's like a wrap and you know, the dancer likes that or it's soup because the soup is, you can eat a few or even if it's a tomato bisque, you can drink it. Right. Mm -hmm. So we want to look, depending on where you live, you're going to have different different resources to different foods. Another thing is what can you put in your dance bag that you can have? So is it, you know, different protein bars, different energy bars? Do you have time? Does someone have time anytime during the week to maybe do some things like make some muffins that have carrots, pumpkin, spinach? I don't know. You can get all kinds of things in that you could make and freeze and take with you over the course of the week. If there's even an hour of time that you could carve out to prep some things like that, that can be really helpful. Sometimes you need like balls and it's like, it's a two ball, two bite ball. The reason I like muffins and homemade muffins is that you can make mini muffins. And so then if you've got, if it's, I got a two bite moment, you've got that um, chocolate milk boxes, milk boxes can be really convenient and things that you can throw into your bag, extra protein, they're hydrating. Um, for other dancers, maybe it's getting, if you've got um, a deli or someplace that does like parfaits or fruit mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, it, it really depends on how much time and stomach space you have. If you've got, if it's a quick turnover, like 15 minutes, something like fruit and a little bit of yogurt may be easier on the tummy than say the egg McMuffin. Some people can have the double bacon cheeseburger, gold, 
They got two hours. They're fine. <laughs> they go to class. They're I, <laughs> this is a real life example. Double bacon cheeseburger. But this this dancer needs protein and they need sodium, and that is on their list because they have two hours from lunch at school until they get to training, and that's part and that's part of our plan. It sounds surprising, but it works. And that dancer needs those things, and that's how that's how he can get them. Mm -hmm. Another thing that dancers may encounter, especially if they're on Instagram a lot or something like that, anywhere on social media is all of these different ideas of like intermittent fasting, intuitive eating, all of these sort of trends that are going around. Talk a little bit about those. Yeah. And we see this a lot. So it's broad. The ones I tend to see the most, the questions that dancers come to me the most with, um, probably in order are plant-based, which would be like vegetarian, vegan, mm -hmm. intermittent, um, intuitive eating, intermittent fasting, and then things like keto and paleo and stuff like that. So when we look at plant-based, generally speaking, it doesn't end up well. It doesn't, the end results are not good. Mm -hmm. What I find is if it, it, it leads down a very narrow path and more often than not, I see it end up in some sort of eating disorder. It, just, it happens, it's dancers. Unpopular opinion, but true. So are plants great for you? Yes. Do they provide a lot of nutrition? Absolutely. Do I recommend them all the time? You betcha. But when dancers start leaning on plants, what they find, what, I'll, what I will tell you is one, they do not eat enough volume to meet their needs. We're talking, we've just been talking about the number of bites you have. If you think you can get the amount of nutrition from plants when you're trying to count bites or you don't have, or you've got limited time to prepare food, it, it's not going to happen. So you can get plant-based things that are heavily processed, not moving you in the right direction, but you may feel good about it. Uh, I also don't like it because what I find is a lot of dancers use, they do use it to um, basically mask an eating disorder to the people mm -hmm. who are caregivers because the caregivers, providers, whether it's their parents, directors, whoever, oh, they eat so healthy. They're the healthy eater. They eat all these vegetables. Well, maybe, maybe not. So we, this is where we've got to have some, some skilled assessment there. Mm -hmm. um, intuitive eating is a tricky one. So it really is. What we do know is it it's a tool. It's not always appropriately applied. Um, with with dan with high level dancers, it may not be enough. And we don't really have research in sports dance medicine, dance nutrition falls under sports medicine. Intuitive eating may not cut it. It just may not. So you may need to eat when you're not hungry. You may need to. We may say say these are some things that are going to augment your diet and it's like, but I don't feel like it. I understand we'll, we'll find what we can that comes closest, but sometimes we've got to do things that intuitive eating may not serve the dancer well enough, especially mm -hmm. if there are any underlying medical conditions. Is intuitive eating a, a great philosophy? Yes. Does it work for a lot of people? Yes. Generally speaking, you know, I'd say I'm probably an intuitive eater. Does it work? But is it something that we can say works for all dancers? No. Mm -hmm. Then um, intermittent fasting, that is just a hard no. It, that you can't do that. You dancers, you, again, you do not have time. In order to do time-restricted eating, it means you have enough time and enough bites. This is, it's a great idea. Intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating um, can be a fine tool for people who are at risk for metabolic disease. So if you are if you are not very active, if you are near middle age, mm -hmm. um, specifically a middle-aged male, then it's probably going to work for you. Middle-aged women too. If you're if you're concerned about um, diabetes, high blood pressure, metabolic disease it can be a tool. This is not what I see in my dancers. And if you're diabetic and a dancer, do not do this. It is a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. Not, not, not the right strategy. It's a tool, but not your tool. Thinking about the intuitive eating thing too, just, you know, thinking of my own experience, one of the things I found is particularly if I am say like 
at a competition weekend or something like that. I know I only have very specific windows of time where I do have a chance to eat something. And if I don't happen to be hungry, but I know it's going to be hours before I really have a chance to sit and have a meal again, I, I've gotten in that mode of, I just need to eat something because I know I'm going to need that fuel. I know I'm going to be dancing a lot and I'm not going to make it until you know four hours from now before I can go and sit down at the hotel restaurant and get a meal there. And that exactly. was something I definitely needed to adjust for myself. Exactly. That hydration, eating, protein. It is so hard for me to get dancers to... Protein is the hardest thing for dancers. They really... It, it, that is the number one um, food group macro... We can call it all kinds of things that dancers struggle with, whether they know it or not. So when we start looking at intuitive eating, protein can be hard. I mean, and it can be unappealing. And if you're not hungry, it can be really unappealing. And then, so these are things when we start to work through, that's okay. What are, you know, we may say, that's okay. We understand what your appetite is. How can we work with it and still bring protein in? Or when are we strategically going to get it, knowing this is the schedule, so that we find something that's appealing even when you don't necessarily have an appetite? So that's these are things that you'll perform better. And once you success drives success is a motivator. When you find out like, Hey, I didn't really feel like it, but I did it anyway. And then, wow. But my performance was so much stronger. I was able to get through class or, uh, you know, if you're at a competition that doesn't include like, um, uh, shoot, um, like honors classes or whatever mm -hmm. that you, that you felt like you were at the top of your game and you weren't starting to slide because, Oh, well, it was in the morning and I just don't like breakfast or, Oh, I changed time zones to get to my competition and I didn't have a strategy. So I just went in because, you know, I was too tired to get up and eat. These, these are things we work on and we plan for well before you get there, you know, in advance if you're going, like, you know, what your competition schedule is, mm -hmm. you, you know. And so we work those things back. How's it going to work when you change time zones? What's it going to look like if you have an eight or nine o'clock class? What are you going to do? And you want to showcase yourself. Will you showcase yourself at your best or are you just showing up? Mm -hmm. That's, and we want you to showcase. Yeah. And it does make such a difference. Like I know, so I currently compete in swing dancing. Yeah. And so it's predominantly an adult population, very wide variety of ages and whatnot. But, you know, I have some friends who they live off of cup of noodles the entire weekend. And, you know, yes, they also are doing things where not, they're not getting enough sleep, but they are just like dying at multiple points of the day because they're not drinking enough water. They're only eating cup of noodles and, and they're not getting enough sleep and they're dancing a ton and, you know, all of these different things. Yeah. And I, I just always, you know, I always look at them and it's like, man, aren't there some things that you could do to kind of help yourself out here a little bit more? It's, it's just interesting seeing so much of that around me with the adults as well. Right. Right. And, and the adult population, you know, if you didn't, we learn from, we really carry a lot into adulthood, what we had when we lived in our, in our homes as, as you know, when we're growing up. And so mm -hmm. It's a skill, food and nutrition is a skill set that more people had it when in, in previous generations, whether it was there was someone they learned, you know, parent to child, how to shop, how to make meals, how to plan meals, how to create menus, how to budget when those things were more part of our, um, our, our collective dynamic. And there were things like home ec, even if that was, you know, you could go and learn that. We don't have, we don't have that anymore. And so a lot of people really don't know, and they don't have a resource for the fundamentals, let alone how do we translate that to, okay, so now I'm going to be traveling. So yeah, I like, I've got adults who, um, who do ballroom or Irish dance and Irish dance is another one that I think, you know, we really are seeing so much more. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's demanding. It's demanding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how are you recovering after you compete? How are you making sure you get adequate sleep? If you're talking to adults, you know, the, the 
alcohol becomes a concern mm-hmm. too. How's that impacting your performance, your recovery, your sleep, which all winds in, um, you know, how do you do these things and still enjoy your life and live the life you want to live? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that you mentioned early on that I is something important to go back to is also this idea of the team. And this is so much, I mean, it comes up a lot in these different conversations for episodes, but just thinking of the different folks on your team where it's like, if somebody comes into me as a physical therapist with an injury, especially if they're either seeming always to get injured or having a hard time recovering, or maybe I uncover some things as I'm asking questions, making sure that we're referring to a dietitian or mental health person, or, you know, thinking of those other people that can supplement what we do as an individual. We don't work in a silo, especially when it comes to our dancers who have much more specific needs, a higher demand on their body, all of these kinds of things. The more people that we can get on their team, the better off they can be in the long run. Oh, 5,000%. One of the questions I ask my dancers, if they haven't been referred to me by a PT, is do you have a PT? No, I haven't been injured. You're behind, Then you're behind the ball because getting a PT in advance so you can prehab, get someone before there's a problem. They're going to know you. They're going to know your body. If it's a dance PT and you want a dance PT, they're going to speak your language. They're going to have you run things and find weaknesses that you can correct before there's a problem. Same thing with the dietitian. Get meet with them before there's a problem. And then we have people, if I see things or I know, <clears throat> for example, if someone comes to me with physique goals and it's it's real in the dance world, then I, you know, I can say, hey, I, we're, we can get this far. But quite frankly, strength training is where you need to be. And that's a that can be really hard for dancers to until they do it and to, until they do it and get it. And they're like, oh my gosh, everything changed with strength training. You know, this is that's your next step. But we have, mm-hmm. you know, you and I both know dance specific strength trainers. They get it. They understand the concerns. They're no, you're not gonna go in and strength train three times a week and come out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger or a Jim Bro. Those people that they dedicate a lot, a lot, a lot of time and energy to that. You're not going to be there. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. (laughs) But you will be stronger. You will, you know, you will meet some of those physique goals. You're looking at what you want, what you think is going to get there. It hasn't gotten there either until now. It's not going to get you there continuing to run down that path. I mean, mental health. I've got people, I have have mental health professionals that I refer to. I have PTs that I refer to. Um, I have dance orthopods. People aren't going to say, well, just quit dancing, that they come through. You can have that team. And if you can establish it early on so that if and when there is a problem, and we know you're going to be injured if you're a dancer, I don't know, what's the statistic for every 10,000 hours or something? Yeah. I mean, there, there there's several different statistics. I know there's one where it was like for a professional ballet company, they saw an average of like 4.7 injuries per 1000 hours danced. Okay. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, get yourself, get yourself shored up, have your, and then have your closer circle, whether it's, and parents are part of the support team for a very long time for dancers. They're, you know, they're, they, they are, you know, embrace that parents, teachers, coaches, and then continue to build out. Mm -hmm. Is there any piece of information that you would want to share with like studio owners, artistic directors, dance teachers, somebody in that realm, something that you wish that they would encourage or incorporate for their dancers? Yes, absolutely. Number one is normalize seeking outside help. Dance, if studios, artistic director, your job is to be a business person or run a studio or run a company or choreograph um, with lights, costumes, all that. You, you've got a full-time job, pedagogy. That is your job. When it, everything else, but, we, but you need to be aware of the reality that your dancers need these services. And if they get them in advance, all the better. So normalizing, seeking outside help at any time before you need it, before you need it, you need it. And you never, it's never, you never need to be 
too bad to get it. So what I suggest, what I recommend to um, studio owners, teachers, all the people is number one, find, it's not hard to find dance medicine professionals. I Adams International Association of Dance Medicine and Science is a phenomenal place to find people who are at the height of this game, right? This is, this is where we live and you can find professionals there. You can get professionals to come into your studio, to zoom in at very low cost to be a point of resource for your dancers. That's the first thing. Normalizing it is putting a face to a thing, whether it's PT, strength training, nutrition, mental health, whatever. Put a face to it, normalize it. Now these people have someone, now your dancers and their parents, including the parents, again, include the parents. The parents are the people who drive these things. They will see a need, they, they pay for it, they pay for it. <laughs> that makes a difference. They will see the need for their child because they have the child, the dancer's best interest at heart. It's their child, even if they're 20, right? It doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Bringing, bringing those people into your studio in any capacity. So there's a, if, if you can get one-on-one, -on -one, awesome. If you can zoom in, that's fine too. I zoom into universities, companies, studios all the time. That puts a face to things. Then your, your dancers can normalize and they can ask some questions. Great. Then they know who to follow on social media. And sometimes it's the messages, that's the people who slide into my messages and they have a question and we can at least direct them to a good place for them to be. All of this at no charge, right? Or a small, you know, hey, I'm going to talk to your people for half an hour. Mm -hmm. The next thing I recommend is have a sheet of paper in all the bathroom stalls with professionals and contact, whether it's mm -hmm. phone number, social media handle, website. Then dancers can get that privately if for some reason they want to make contact, but they don't want to make a deal out of it then they have the information and they can do that. Have policies and procedures. If you have concerns, have policies and procedures in your manual that everyone, every employee in the studio is aware of. Parents are aware of, dancers are aware of. When you, when you sign up and sign your contracts at the beginning of the year, this is our policy and procedures manual. You, here, here it is online. Here's the PDF, read through it and sign it. And so that if someone sees, we have concern about recurring injuries. We have concern there may be an eating disorder. This is how we're going to handle it. You've already signed up. We're going to, this is, we start here. We go here, we go here. Talk to someone in human resources, an attorney, someone to make that, set that up for you. It, and then you have it for a very, very long time. It's an initial investment and it keeps your dancers healthy. I love that idea of both having a list of resources someplace like the bathroom, because I've heard that too from PTs where like, you know, there was an example from one of the professors that I work with where they wanted to start offering information about um, domestic abuse resources. And first they kept them at the front desk and none of them ever went anywhere, but then they started putting them in the bathroom and they couldn't keep them in stock because so many were being taken. And so, yeah, if there's anything where it's sort of more sensitive, private information, Bathrooms are a fantastic place to put that. Um, and I love the idea of the contract too, of saying, you know, that this is what we have in place. And I think as more of this is becoming commonplace, having access to people who are dance specialists, normalizing use of mental health, nutrition, all of these different elements. When parents are starting to look at studios or when new professionals or professionals are looking at companies that they want to work with, they do yeah. their homework and they see that a company or a studio is promoting some of these ideas and another one maybe isn't, it can maybe help them make some decisions too of where they want to put themselves, um, somewhere where it seems like they will have that support. Absolutely. You know, I'm, um, because I'm a dance parent, I have been involved in, um, oh, like Facebook groups mm -hmm. with other dance parents and the concerns that come up. And a lot of these things, in that realm, I'm a parent. But a lot of the concerns are, you know, I just, you know, what happens if there's someone that we think there may be disordered eating going on? What do we do? Well, if we have this plan in place, it, it would be, you know, that question would be taken care of. It's, there's so many things. And if we treat dance medicine, not as in just repair, but optimize. There's so many things you can do as a physical therapist where you can optimize and prevent 
oh, as yeah. well as repair. And when we shift, when we shift our our mindset to what, how can we optimize? It's kind of that idea of are we showcasing or showing up? Dancers don't want to be the in, injured dancer. Like no one wants to be that dancer because, which is part of why I put it in the bathroom. No one wants to be the trouble dancer. Oh, well, you know, ooh, why are they going to the dietitian? Do they have an eating disorder? Well, then they're, you know, are they a problem? Do they, you know, what's what's their problem? What if it's I want to get ahead of things and be on the top of my game? This is the difference between sport and dance. Sports use new they they use nutrition to excel and to win. They're not looking at it as, well, how do we, you know, how do we save somebody, the dying swan? It's mm-hmm. how do we, how do we excel? And that's athletes come to me when they want to go next level. When dancers want to go next level, professional dancers come to me when they want to go next level. Mm-hmm. Pre-professional dancers get referred to me because they're they're working they tend to be working with this 30 and more year old system of bad, bad, bad knowledge, bad information. Mm-hmm. And we try and fix that so they can, you know, move ahead. But if the dance world would treat our services like the world of sport does, we would see, a, I think we'd see a lot of change. Mm-hmm. Yes. I have definitely seen that from the PT perspective for sure. Um, even just thinking, you know, I have some dancers from the same studio and one did a strengthening program with me and started doing really well in a lot of different things and had a lot fewer aches and pains and injuries and whatnot. And so now that I'm seeing other folks from the studio, they all know that that dancer had come to work with me and they go, oh yeah, you're the one who did that was really cool. And, you know, they were able to see that difference in performance for that dancer who went through a strength program and has something that she continues to work on, not just somebody who came when they were injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I know. I love it. And it is, it's like, oh, and I got to like PT plus strength training. Oh, <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, when you start getting all of those pieces together, it makes such a difference. And and that's one of the things that I learned for myself too, going through all that gut stuff and having anxiety and having, you know, all these different things. I've figured out, well, I know that there needs to be this balance between everything. And if I know my schedule is going to be crazy for a week, I'm going to be that much more intentional with the food that I'm putting in my body, making sure that I'm hydrating well and not having too much caffeine or any of that sort of thing. Or, you know, if I know I'm not getting as much sleep, I need to shore up some of the other things. Mm -hmm. And just figuring out in way too long of time um, (laughs) what that balance needed to be or how I can modify those things when I have an opportunity to see it coming up. Um, it's like, wow, this really does make a difference. Yeah. It's something that I wish everyone knew and didn't have to go through all the things for all the time that I did to get to that point. Yeah. But you're there. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. Whether it takes, you know, six weeks or six months, you know, Usually six months, we can do a lot in six months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you get there and then you know, that's the thing. I think, and I, I'm curious if your dancers find this too. Part of what I do, part of why it takes time is we have to establish trust. Cause I'm going to tell people things that may be contrary to what they've heard before. Yeah. But working and and, and we've got a lot of anxiety. We we can we can work with little things that feel comfortable and make changes and the wheels didn't fall off the bus things actually got better and then we can move and then the steps can get bigger and by the time we get to a four or six month part it's like fly away butterfly you know go do your thing let me know when something new comes up and we'll touch base or you know i'll follow you on social media and see all your awesomeness Exactly. And I think that hints to another important piece to this too, is, you know, we're talking about this team, we're talking about working with all these different people. That doesn't mean you have appointments every week with everybody. It doesn't mean that you're like always needing to have these appointments, but it's having maybe those pockets of time where, okay, now is when we're working together and needing something more regular and then spans where you're doing your own thing and check in if you need to. Um, But you at least know who to go to if something comes up. Absolutely. And someone who knows you and knows they also know where you came from like that having that history 
with someone makes such a difference. Even when people come back to me, say two or three years later, and I can say, and like, so, you know, I go, I, I remember them, but then I also go through their record from the very, very beginning. And I say, remember we started here and let's talk about what, what worked for you, you know? And then they come back and they're like, oh yeah, really it may be, it may be just a refresher with someone who's trusted and then, you know, they go, I think, you know, something interesting, it can be, you know, the idea, it can be really intimidating. We get back to that idea of time and it being such a limited resource for dancers and parents, if they're doing the, the hauling back and forth, if that's necessary, um, the time resource is very real. And so sometimes, you know, I have found that the idea of committing to like three, four, six months feels intimidating to dancers. And so recognizing that and meeting people where they are occasionally I've said, you know, we'll, we'll do a, we'll do a one-off, like here's like an evaluation. Here's where you are right now. Here's where I think you, you know, here's some things to address. Here's some things I think you could hit. And over a period of time, you know, I'd say start here. This would be the starting point, which I think is for, for dance professionals. I think this is our, one of our, the, the little bit of magic we bring. It's where do you start? What do you do? So if someone comes in with a knee injury, oh, my knee hurts, you may say, no, that's IT band or that's way up here. That's a gluteal issue. That's not a knee issue. Right. You know where to start. You what's, what's the source? Where do we start? And I think that's my kind of my superpower too, is people come and they think it's one thing and I can see that. And maybe psychologically, we do want to start there, but maybe we really want to start over here. And how would this feel? and give it a try. And so, um, you know, I think that can be helpful too, to take some of the pressure off, but nothing beats having someone who's in your corner for, you know, I got you, you're on my roster and we're going to, you, we're going to touch base and hit this just like if you were in class and someone comes by and, you know, knows your tondu and says, do this, do this, do this run through and then, you know, at the end of the month, look, you're doing it. Let's look at your foot. Look at how this is, and look at how your tandu is translating to your center work and your degage and your, you know, petite leg bra and everything else that started with your tandu, right? And now here, plie. I don't know. Everything comes in this tandu and plie. But um, you know, and and yes. and to see how those things translate, and now where can you grow from it? You did great. You you nailed it. Now let's go next level. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think now is a great opportunity for a special segment on the show. So every episode we have the final bow. This is basically the take home message. We've talked about so many different things. We've talked for a variety of different sort of audiences at times. What is one piece of information that you hope somebody walks away with? that you can have nutrition is beyond weight loss. It's beyond, it's beyond um, even medical issues. It can help with medical issues. It can be so many things, but get it, get on board early. See what's, see what you can do to optimize. How can you showcase yourself rather than just show up? I think that's really it. And um, there's so many things we can do and you can start early and not be in a crisis situation where it's like, oh, I, I really need a dietitian now. Um, where we can we can kind of tease these things out early on before they're ever a problem and move you ahead, prevent problems, improve your recovery, improve your performance in class, improve your training, improve your competition. Um, because we got in there and and we had a pretty level playing field to begin with. Wonderful. Last and certainly not least, we have the shameless plug. So your opportunity to promote anything that you have going on, any organization that you want to promote, this is your time to promote away. Sure. Well, for the most part, um, my social media is Instagram, which is Kristen underscore Koskinen underscore RDM. That's where I tend to show up the most and maybe point things that are coming out. In 2024, I will be doing more of these. Um, what I will create, be creating more opportunities for one-offs with dancers, as opposed to 
just the programs that I've done in the past. So that will be something. Um, information there will be social media pretty much as well as my website www.eatwellpros.com fantastic i'll make sure all of those things are linked and make it even easier for people to come and find you thank you so much for your time today it was wonderful getting to chat and have a great rest of the day i will thank you you too dance med spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa arms we discuss all things dance medicine this has been another episode from Dance Med Spotlight. The Dance Med Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.